Seinfeld, the pledge drive is over, but we are just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap, a podcast about nothing. And now, here are the two guys who always eat their candy bars with a knife and a fork. I'm Rob Sister. Here's Akiva Winokur, but Akiva hates chocolate, so he probably uh, doesn't use a knife and a fork. That would stick a knife in it, and then i just toss it, though. I'm, yeah. I'm not eating it. Oh, you're missing out, Akiva. A delicious Snickers bar with a knife and a fork. Oh, it's perfect. Uh, yeah. Do you bring them to restaurants, though? And just <laughs> no. sit there? <laughs> no. I've actually never done that. But in watching this episode, I'm sort of like, oh, you know, maybe they, maybe they're Mr. Pitt is on to something. I'm like everybody in the episode. I think I'm like, oh, maybe I think I'm going to try that. Well, is it, what intrigues you? Is it bring? Is it the fork and knife or is it just bringing your own food to a restaurant like everyone oh, no, seems no, no, to no. do in this no show. it's not so much that bringing my own food because i kind of feel like that they sell the candy bars in the coffee shop i feel like you can buy them at the counter it's much more so that it's like oh i don't have to get my fingers dirty with the chocolate and i feel like i would eat it slower and i feel like i would enjoy it more uh yeah i, I do i have been because you know i've been trying to watch my weight and in general i have noticed like if i eat slower oh, then, that's the move yeah so that's really like the only thing that can save me because I'm all about quantity, not quality. Like I say, like my wife, you know, my wife will make a giant lasagna. The kids will each have like a little piece or whatever. She'll have her plate or two. And then I'll just literally eat whatever's left. Like I will not leave the leftovers. Yeah. But if you eat really slowly, so she, what she'll do is she'll give it to me on like a tiny plate. Yeah. No, that's the move. Because even because even if you have like a couple pieces on a tiny plate, like you're not going to go back for sevenths. I mean, sometimes I will, but even sevenths won't be the whole lasagna. Yeah, you got to slow it down. You got to slow it down. That'll help you. All right, we're going to talk about all this weight loss tips and much more here on The Pledge Drive as we talk about an episode where everybody is eating candy with a knife and a fork. We also have the high talker, Dan, who sounds exactly like his girlfriend, Noreen, and all sorts of problems for him in this episode. And then the infamous PBS Pledge Drive, which Danny Tartable is scheduled to appear at, uh, but he never makes it. And the saga of Jerry's Nana trying to go to Chemical Bank to see what's going on with her checking account. Uh, yeah, we assume Tartable never makes it, right? We're, we don't know that for sure. <laughs> Maybe he makes it there. But a lot going on here in the Pledge Drive, which I really enjoyed on the rewatch. Yeah, very underrated episode. It's not really one of these episodes that people talk about a lot. But uh, it was, I, I laughed out loud a bunch of times watching it. Mm-hmm. It's very funny. There's yeah. a lot going on. And uh, there's really nothing that's you know like overtly terrible here yeah and spoiler alert i think it holds up pretty well i don't think there's anything that's super dated here in uh the pledge drive it feels uh, a lot fresher i don't know season six in general feels a lot more uh modern than you know seasons four and five but there's something in this episode that also feels uh you know a little very you know pretty modern and you're right there's nothing that's really crazy in this episode all right so let's get into it let's talk about uh the pledge drive from october 6th 1994. I should say, actually, Akiva, before we get into it, do you have any news items? Uh, sure, I'll give you a quick one. So there was a lot of celebrity deaths this week. Oh, no. Fun facts? Uh, and <laughs> no, 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 no fun facts. But I was wondering if any of them had a Seinfeld connection. And I did find one. On October 2nd, 1999, Jerry Seinfeld hosted Saturday Night Live. Yes. And the musical guest was uh, none other than David Bowie. Wow. There you go. Did I... Did I tell you about my my grief vulture rule last week? I don't think I did. No. Okay, so I'm going to be a little bit of a, a like a, a spoil sport here, but here's the deal. So in, in, here's my opinion on how you should treat, not you, but the royal you, should treat celebrity deaths on social media. Okay, great. Okay. If uh, you have, you know, 15,000 tweets in your history, 
or however many you have, and zero of them are about David Bowie, then when he dies, you can say something like, oh, you know, here's my favorite David Bowie song, R.I.P. David Bowie. You know, I give you one tweet. If you've never mentioned him once, if, if I go back and I see every day, every year on his birthday, you tweet at David Bowie, happy birthday, David Bowie. I'm going to a David Bowie concert tonight. And I'm just using Bowie as an example here. It could be Alan Rickman. It could be any celebrity. If you've never mentioned them in your thousands of tweets or Facebook posts or whatever, you only get one post about the person. You can't, you don't get to, you know, grieve publicly for a week. Okay. Why were there a lot of public uh, grievings, a lot of people sitting Shiva on social media for Rickman and Bowie? I think that they, I think that Not social Henley. media, the, uh, yeah, it's funny because David Bowie was pretty universally liked. Like the people who aren't David Bowie fans are neutral on him and Rickman, I think the same. But I, I, I think, uh, who's the other guy? Glenn Fry? Oh, God, sorry. Or Don Henley, sorry. Wait, wait, now I'm confused. Who's right? <laughs> I think you're right. I think I might have. Uh, yeah, Glenn Fry died. Not I might Don have Henley. erroneously fun facted uh, Don Henley. Yeah, sorry, Don Henley. But I, I think. <laughs> apologize but, uh, to the, to the, the Don Henley fans out there. The difference with the Eagles is a lot of people hate them. <laughs> so, so there was much less uh, sort of like uh, fanfare for his death. Yeah. Because. There's nobody who hates David Bowie, really, or, or you know, Alan Rickman or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, but I do think that in general, people like, they call them like grief vultures. People really like to latch on to every celebrity and make their death about them and how it's, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he's gone. Like, you know, it, which is fine. It's, it's, I'm sure their family appreciates, uh, you know, that, that people are, are remembering them far more so in their death than their life. Because I don't know when the last time anyone had an Alan Rickman conversation. But... <laughs> But yeah. I mean, I guess the Harry Potter people love him. I'm not saying I don't know anything right. about Alan. I'm sure he was great. But it's just it, it, it's weird, this weird thing where people sort of like blow, you know, every single celebrity death, at, you know, make it about them. Right. There's two things also. There's that. And then there's also like, you know, how fast can you get on the board to announce it? Like you want to get, get in there with your breaking R.I.P. tweet. Yeah. Peter King always gets ridiculed on Twitter. The, the football writer, my former coworker, because mm-hmm. he. He was at a restaurant and he found that Robin Williams died, I guess, on Twitter. And he like mentions this in his in his column, Monday Morning Quarterback, the next day or two. He mentions that he went and he turned told the waiter, oh, did you hear Robin Williams died? Which is such an insane thing to do. Like, who are you? The news? Like, you're going to go around saying like the celebrity died? And 80 percent of the people don't know who Robin Williams is. Yeah, I mean, like, aren't like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he died. Like, it's one thing if it's on Twitter and you're talking to like some echo chamber of people who think similarly. Yeah. But it, so he always gets ridiculed. Like, every tweet he has, he gets the, he gets like five people saying, did you know Robin Williams died? <laughs> wow. <laughs> you don't have one of those, right? You don't have like a troll. Like Adam Schefter, every time he tweets, there's like 50 people that say my wife left me. I'm not sure why, but. <laughs> All right, well, don't give people any ideas, Akiva. Or the Jalen Rose, who, who used to be on Grantland, uh, was on the other team when Kobe Bryant scored 81 points. So people will write every single tweet of Jalen Rose's. People will write like, uh, wow, that tweet had 81 characters or, you know, or just they'll try and shoehorn the number 81 in. But he blocks for any 81 mention. Yeah, He's, it's an automatic block. So you can only do it once. But if you search Jalen Rose in 81, it's very funny. I think once you start the automatic blocking for a reason, then you think you just encourage it. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like. It's like bringing the, the flies, the honey of the flies or something like that. Right. All right. Saying. Well, let's get into talking about the pledge drive because we got a lot of stuff to work through here. Back in October 6th, 
1994. Gamel and Pross back at it again, Akiva. Yeah, Gamel and Pross, they, they, I didn't realize this, but they weren't just the writing team on Seinfeld. Like, they only go together as a writing team. They were, you know, on a bunch of different shows, but it's always, they don't work. They don't work. Do you think they do favored nations or do you think one of them makes more money than the other one? I think it's the same. I mean, I don't know how most writing teams do it, but I would imagine it's a 50-50 split. Because I would have in my contract, like, I need one more dollar than the other guy. (laughs) (laughs) And I would say fine if that was, if if we were going to work on that contract. Oh, you think that we're going to be writing partners and we're doing, we're doing, (laughs) oh, I'm getting 10% and you're getting 90. I I didn't mean, I didn't know if it was me and you, but okay, fine. You're <laughs> no, a great I negotiator. Just, you just gave I, me I, I wouldn't quibble over the dollar, I'm saying. I'm saying that it's like, okay, fine. If, if, if I had No, a, but I, it's not really the dollar. It's like the guys who have in their contract, like, I need to be the highest paid. Yeah. So, like, my contract is, you know, I'm a basketball player. My contract's for $8 million, and, and then you sign a new, like, $12 million a year deal. Then they, like, automatically have to give me $12 million and, you know, and one dollar. Yeah. Okay. So I like that. The escalator in the contract. The escalator. That's, that's what my, my post-show recaps contract, I don't know if people know this, states that I must be the highest paid co-host on post-show recaps at all times. Yeah, that's your Stealth <laughs> R Us name is the escalator. Yes, yeah, the escalator. Yeah. Well, that's because Philip Shepard negotiated that contract. <laughs> Let's get into talking about Jerry's stand-up. He opens it up talking about Hallmark cards and uh, talks about how, I, the one thing that was probably super dated in this episode, he talks about a dollar a card. Uh, that is way dated because you're paying like six dollars a card now for a Hallmark card. Yeah, it's really annoying. It's like five forty nine every time you go into the so store. So stupid. So stupid. You know what? Here's our million dollar invention. Do you do the, the what? Yeah, the million dollar invention is the free e card, but you look like a cheapskate. Right. Dry erase card. What do you think of that? Ooh, that's not bad. The problem is, it's like Jerry said. Like, you would you give your wife the same card every year because you can't give your wife the same card as your grandma. Hmm. That's fair. No, I think that maybe it should be like some sort of like Merry Christmas card and my wife like gives it back to me. How about that? The next year? I don't know. That's not bad. Or or what if the card is totally like you can sort of, I don't know, there's some sort of like stamps.com thing where you could like print your own card or, yeah. you know, and that's not a bad idea. We're working on something. Yeah. The worst thing is that my wife is, she tends to be very last minute, uh, aka lazy about these things. And she will often buy a card for me and then be like too lazy to fill it out and then just never give it to me. So it's like, you know, we're spending the money on the cards and I'm never even getting them. She told me the other day, like, oh, I have like two years of Christmas cards that I've never given you. That's hilarious. Yeah, my wife is the opposite. She, if I gave her a card, she'd be like, you spent $6 on this card? Mm-hmm. That's nice. That's nice. But, but what I do, what I, a trick for you is also, now that you have kids who are going to be able to color and stuff, have them, if you know, if you don't want to like buy a card from your kid for Mother's Day or whatever, have them just like color, have them color a card. It's free. That's and, it, you idea. know, and it's a babysitter. Just have them sit with crayons for an hour. All right, let's get into the episode proper. So Jerry is telling Elaine about how her friend Noreen was hitting on him the other day. Uh, yeah. And I, the, I feel like there's a certain type of guy who always thinks that women are hitting on them. Is Jerry that kind of guy? I didn't think so, but maybe he is. I, we have to look for that for the rest of the series. I'm not sure. Yeah, and Elaine says that's impossible. She has a boyfriend, Dan. And Jerry says, if I was going to make it up, I wouldn't make up one of your friends. That's so annoying. And it is an, an odd pairing, Noreen and Dan. Or I guess I guess it's a pairing that makes sense. It's just that they're a weird pairing in the Seinfeld universe, right? Yeah, like, well, how are they friends? Like, they would never... They, they, first of all, they wouldn't even associate with Noreen once she has this Dan guy. <laughs> right. And so Jerry's insisting uh, he is going through his mail and he has a card 
Uh, it is from a woman named Kristen who works at PBS. Yeah, and it's like a very strange thing, but I guess they did it back in the day that you just like send someone a card before the event. I don't know. Is that, is that a thing? I have no idea. I, I've never I don't send cards, but I do like why like like a thank you for doing this event you haven't even done yet. I'm going to send the card. But I guess she's kind of into him at this point, Kristen. So it makes sense. Is that it? Or is she just kind of a star effort? And that's sort of her job is just to sort of like kiss up to like pseudo celebrities so that they come on and do the PBS pledge drive. So she has to like, oh, thank you so much, Jerry. Oh, you're the best. And sort of like, is it something like that more so than a romantic interest? Yeah, I think history is kind to your uh, interpretation because Noreen doesn't even know what Danny Tartable looks like, but she's so into having Tartable for the drive. So I think, yeah, she's just into anybody who's a celebrity. Oh, he's on the Yankees. Great. Yes, I think so. And so Kramer comes in that he's going through the mail. Also, he wants to know if his fortune magazine is there, which is a pretty funny piece of mail for Kramer to be looking for. Yeah. And it just randomly gets lost in Jerry's mail. I I mean, Newman isn't the isn't the mailman to this building, but still, you know, it could I guess it got messed up. Yeah. Could you be the mailman to your own building or is that the same sort of thing where it's like you can't operate on members of your own family? I think in in a big city, it would probably be they wouldn't want like your neighbors wouldn't want you to see like what all your mail is and stuff. So I bet there's policy on that. In a small town, I could see there being no choice. They're not going to be like. You know, what are they going to do? You're like, oh, you have to go to, you know, the next town over and the guy from the next town over is going to come here to deliver the mail. I feel like in a city, there's a rule and a small. I don't know. Do we have a mail correspondent? We need we one. do not. And we should get one because of all the Newman storylines coming up. So we need a mail carrier correspondent. And I'm pretty sure we do have people who uh, have written to me and said that they're mail carriers and they listen to the podcasts. So hopefully uh, we can get somebody on the Seinfeld beat that can do this, because why? What would stop? newman from moving to a building on his route well the fact that he loses route if he moves to the building who would it's report like a, him who would how would they know i guess I, I the problem is you'd get in trouble if you got caught it's not about who would know it's the same thing where like uh you know i don't know like a teacher can't teach their own kid so mm-hmm. like oh you teach that class now the kid has got to switch to a different class i think you'd find that out sooner than the mailman who moves onto their route probably that would be a great scam i do have a friend whose mom is a math teacher and she was allowed she was like the only math teacher for that grade so they had no recourse other than to let her teach him and he got hundred. he's a horrible student he got hundreds in the class and she gave him the final beforehand oh yeah corruption she get in trouble but yeah, yeah yeah but what are you gonna do that's what happens when you let your you know a parent teach a child my dad would have give, my dad would have given me an eighty six best for the Mets. Oh no, no! I just he wouldn't give above ninety. My dad actually does not give hundreds. That's his thing. Uh, he says nobody's perfect, and the highest grade he gives is ninety nine. It's okay. kind of strange. Tough love. <laughs> yeah, tough love from Robert Wieneker. <laughs> so Kramer wants to be a part of the pledge drive. They tell him that he's allowed to come and answer the phones. Kramer's under the impression that he should get a cut of whatever money that he raises at the pledge drive. Is this a good idea? Is Kramer onto something? There are a lot of charities that work that way, right? That, you know, people raise, you know, or do fundraising and you get 10 or 20 or I don't know what the percentage is. Yeah. But uh, I don't think I don't think of this charity drive. First of all, you're on TV. It's like a, you know, a gig that's probably very sought after. He's lucky to have it. So I don't think it's happening here. Yeah. It's not like you're making cold calls and like you got a list of numbers to be calling people to try to raise the money. The people are already watching the show. They're calling in ready to donate the money. Right. Also, when it's your job, like if you are some kind of cold caller. Uh, so that's your profession. So yeah, you get like 10, even if you work for a charity, you get like 10% or whatever it is. But Kramer's doing this for an hour or two. So I think, uh, you know, you're doing it for free. So 
Jerry is pushing on this Noreen business. So Elaine goes and calls up Noreen on the phone and we hear a high pitched answer, which we presume is Noreen. And Elaine is asking the question of like, hey, do you like Jerry? And yeah, I like Jerry. Like, do you like like Jerry? Because Jerry thinks that you were hitting on him. And we find out that, hey, this is Dan, not Noreen. It's a really, you know, the first time you're watching this, it's a great plot twist here because, you know, you have sort of no like uh, way of knowing that, uh, you know, that this high pitched voice is is a man. Uh, Let's talk about the voice for a second. You know, it's not the actor's real voice. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what the purpose of casting this actor is if he's not going to use his voice. But, you know, maybe it's something they decided like, you know, maybe they just thought he couldn't cut it. Uh, once they started rolling, I'm not sure. But it's a little weird, right? It's pretty clearly not coming from his mouth. Yeah, I don't know what they did if they just like rolled the, the tape faster to try to match it. But you're right. It definitely does not seem very organic. No, I mean, it definitely says it's not coming from from him. But then like what is a, just because he looks schlumpy that he's bald? Like, I don't know what what this actor is really bringing. Like, you can't find anyone in Hollywood with that kind who could do that kind of funny voice. I'm not exactly sure. But that's the case. So Elaine basically, she just bails and she hangs up the phone. So we see Elaine next. She is sharpening pencils at uh, Mr. Pitt's office. And the phone rings and it's Noreen. And Noreen wants to know, why did you tell Dan I was hitting on Jerry Seinfeld? Noreen seems very much like, of course I wasn't hitting on Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, even though she probably was, but now she's in, she got busted. So See, you think upset. she was? I feel like the episode pretty clearly states that she wasn't. Well, in that final scene, when he says it, she has like this weird look. Yeah. Well, I so think I don't that know. she ends up sort of falling for Jerry by the end of the episode. Oh. But I think she starts off that she was never hitting on him. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. By the end, she is into him. But yeah, I guess it makes more sense that she's not at this point. Yeah, so we'll explore the evolution of Noreen's actual feelings for Jerry. And also Noreen, like, Noreen is very clearly crazy. Like, she almost commits suicide in next week's episode. This is, a, <laughs> this is not a person whose actions should really be, you know, Yeah, coming, coming attraction. And so then uh, Dan gets on the phone, and Elaine thinks now that it's still Noreen. She wants to know, Noreen, are you crying? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's a little confusing, right? They switch back and forth here also. Yeah. And no, this is Dan, and Dan doesn't really comprehend that his voice sounds like Noreen. It is a thing. I've mentioned, I I had a friend who had a really strong lisp in high school, and I mentioned when I saw him years later that it was gone, and he said, what lisp? Yeah. So I think people are just living in denial about their whole lives, including us, I'm sure. I'm sure there are things that are, like, so obvious about us to everyone else. Like, oh, there's Rob. He's got, like, a giant neck, or I don't know what. I have no idea. But, you know, and there's a Kiva. He's, I don't know, the dumbest person I've ever met. But like, but it's just we don't know that, you know. Well, Akiva, I do have a litany of people on Twitter who have no problem of telling me about any single tick or thing I say wrong or figure of speech that I screw up. So I'm tend to be pretty aware of all of these things. I guess I guess you you're a bad example because <laughs> you have a lot of people and at home even you have a lot of people just telling you everything you do that's wrong. Yes. Yes. So Elaine has to get back to sharpening the pencils and we see Mr. Pitt that he pulls out a Snickers bar. Does Mr. Pitt pull the Snickers bar out from his jacket from his like side pocket? Yeah, it's funny. In the inside look, you see uh, Ian Abercrombie, the actor, who's like this very, very proper British guy who was like mentions it. And you could tell he's like annoyed that 
he even has to like deal with this. Like he, he sounds so fancy. He would never eat a chocolate bar. I do think I don't know if you've ever met anybody who's like insanely, insanely rich, mm-hmm. but they don't eat. They're like not that not that they don't eat ever, but they just like eat when they're starving, like once a day. Hmm. So I feel like Mr. Pitt is like this, like they're, you know, so it's almost weird seeing him eat a candy bar. Rich people don't eat. That's I don't think I've fact. ever met anybody that's too rich to eat. Yeah, too rich to eat. That's a status, but it's true. I like Bill Gates does not sit around like, hey, what's for dinner? What's for dinner? You know, what's chef? What's for dinner? Even though he has a chef. Yeah, that's not that's not how you become successful. I, you know, I'm eating breakfast and I'm talking about what I'm having for dinner. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a every day is a conversation in my house. of like, so, Nicole, what's for dinner tonight? And she said, I'm, I haven't even thought about it. I'm like, oh, I'm not allowed to ask. Yeah. Even, even when she's serving it, I'm not allowed to ask. What is it? Yeah, that's a, that's a rule. And I don't even really care. I just like feel like I need to like remind her that like dinner is a meal that we should eat today. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why I'm not allowed to ask what's for dinner, but I apparently I, I just know I'm not. <laughs> All right. So Mr. Pitt, he ends up then eating the Snickers bar with a knife and a fork. And this really seems to bother Elaine. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why. I guess it's just so bizarre, but it, I feel like it's something she should be laughing at. It is very out of character for Mr. Pitt, I guess. Yeah. So more on that to come. So we go back to Jerry's apartment and he is going over the pledge drive script, talking about the financial crisis at PBS. Well, I guess they never solved that financial crisis at PBS. Seems like it's uh, been in financial crisis for what, 30 years? Listen, they they shake you down once a year. It is amazing because... Every old person gives them money. Like, I don't know how they're not like the third biggest corporation in America. The, like, literally, you'll go like go into an old person's house. Overhead's I'll, too high. Is that what it is? I think so. Because I'll, I'll go into I'll still go into like my wife's grandmother's house and she'll have like DVDs that they like, you know, they're like $80 for like a season of some horrible British television show or something, mm-hmm. you know, that PBS is selling. Like they really, you know, and there's like the tote bags and all these things. They really sucker in the old people like you yeah. can't even imagine. And I suspect the overhead's high. That'd be my yeah, guess. They, they have to cut down on that overhead. Well, do you see they lost Sesame Street? Oh, yeah. They, well, I, I think Sesame Street was like, uh, that was like their Yoenna Cespedes. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't afford it anymore. And that's, you know, HBO is the Washington Nationals. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. I hope this is one of those things where you're horribly wrong on by the time that the podcast comes out. Oh, no. By the time we're finished recording, that's going to have happened. So. <laughs> All right. So they're going over the script and Kristen wants to know, did Jerry get the card? And she just happens to be like at the garbage and she looks down and sees that Jerry threw out the greeting card. Akiva, what is the proper protocol? You get a card from somebody. How long do you hang on to it? I think we can agree Jerry is way too quick to put the card in the trash. Now, I know most human beings would, would agree with that. But I, if I lived alone, I would throw it in the garbage immediately. But I do things like that, and my wife will take it out of the garbage if I do that. Like, she will be annoyed. And if, a, if my child gave me a card, the rule is I'm never allowed to throw it out. Hmm. She has boxes in this house. Like, I'm being overwhelmed by cards and things like that. But she'll never throw out a card. I think, I think maybe a week should be the maximum. I don't mind, like, the hanging it. You know, if it's like it comes to you two days before your birthday, you know, I, once your birthday's over, I think you can get rid of it. But I think, you know, or stop displaying it. I think a week after the anniversary or the Christmas or the birthday, garbage. Yeah. I just don't know what you do with it. Like, I feel like I am much more in the camp of I'm holding on to these things, but I'm holding on to them forever. 
I mean, I, I always say to her, like, what, what are you holding this on, on onto this for? Like when they make a museum about you? Yeah. You know, like what, what, what are you getting? Are you being buried with these Christmas cards? I don't I don't I never get it. <laughs> I don't know. But she's mad. And she says, this was my card. You threw it away. And she's very upset with Jerry. And Jerry is trying to prove to her, no, 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 no. Uh, I can be sentimental. And he goes to his drawer and he has all the cards from Nana. And which we'll find out. And with all the checks from Nana and says, look, no, no, look, I have all these cards from Nana. I can be sentimental. She's like, oh, well, you could be sentimental with Nana, but not with me. Yeah, I feel like this. He, it was worse that he showed it to her. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. So maybe she did like Jerry. I think she did. I don't know. But if she likes him, like, why is this a deal breaker? It's so bizarre. Yeah. So maybe she thought that they had like more of a connection. I guess. But I, you could. I feel like things like this, you could always, you know, just say, you know, guys, we like to throw stuff out. Right. And that would work. Yeah. I feel like that this character doesn't make a ton of sense on paper. Yeah, we don't. I feel like she's missing a scene or two. We don't see a ton about this. Uh, Kristen. She was uh, she was uh, like Miss USA or Miss some state or something. <laughs> Miss Delaware. Yeah, but she's not verified on Twitter. Her husband is. I'm sure that's like a big uh, like thing in their house. Like if I was verified and my wife wasn't, my wife doesn't even know what Twitter looks like. She's never been in it. But mm-hmm. uh, I would I would mention it every day that I'm verified and she's not. But that's what we have to get Nicole verified before you. I think. Oh that's sure, the- sure. <laughs> she would mention that a lot of day. Nicole imposters out there. So a lot of confusion of who's the real Nicole on Twitter. So Kramer ends up coming in. He sees all the cards and uh, he ultimately sees the checks from Nana. He says that, uh, boy, all these $10 checks, this is a slap in the face to Nana that you are not cashing her checks. Nana's very cheap, by the way. Let's just say that. You think that's very cheap? Well, I mean, what occasion are you getting $10 for? I I guess money is tight with Nana, we established. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd rather, I've had like a relative give me a really cheap check before. And I would much rather nothing than $10. Because if you're giving me $10, it's like, oh, you can't afford anything or you don't care about me. And either one is depressing. Yeah. Yeah. So for Nana, I just think that for her, she doesn't really have a concept of the economy or inflation. So for her, $10 is like, you know, what she would have given as a birthday gift 50 years ago. And she doesn't quite get the $10 doesn't exactly buy what it used to that's probably true like it, it was possible she was very generous in 1954 with her 10 dollar birthday gifts but now it's right. just the same 10 bucks right like my grandmother will you know fight over five dollars with somebody right but i mean oh you mean just because to her five dollars is a lot of money i think so like i feel like and then she say in the old country we'd we'd kill a man for five dollars she's not said that not okay. use those terms. I feel like that's how people people's grandparents they like to tell you about the old country. Yeah. Even if the old country is the United States of America, like my grandparents. Yeah. It's like in the old days, you know, we went through the depression. Yeah. I just think for the older people that are like, you know, especially when they start maybe are not uh, at full capacity, like I think that the whole inflation thing doesn't exactly jive with them. And I think they also sort of like get a little more like go you know their clock sort of resets back further and further in time like it's like uh, oh five dollars is a lot of money it's like "Ah, it's actually uh like not as much money and so they're like it's a little bit of uh there's a disconnect i never thought about that that's very interesting that um that old people they're like once they start uh you may be having memory loss or whatever that their their mind turns back to like 50 years ago financially that's my theory on it because <laughs> i mean really, just think about we it we should like, have if we have any scientists they should study that no, really, i mean if you're 80 years old 
And I don't know if we have any octogenarians that listen to this podcast. Maybe, maybe we do. But I think that as you know, as you're as you're getting older. So if you're 80, what is that now? It's 2000. It's 2016. So what is that like? You born in like what 1934? I have that math right. Uh, uh, yeah, 36. Yeah. I mean, so like you know, ten dollars. You know, when you're a kid, when you're growing up, or like even when you're in, like in your 30s is worth like an incredibly a lot more than $10 when you're like at this point in time. And I think there's probably like, does your mind, how, like how fast can your mind roll with inflation? It's a good, it's a really good question. That's why, you know, you call everyone by the old names. It's always like you're call you know, when you get older, it's, you're, you're never going to call like a kid by the grandkids name. You're going to call everyone by their parents name. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're really reverting back in almost every way back to like your childhood. I hear you. Yeah. All right. So Jerry and George, first George sighting the episode, a good six, seven minutes in a late arrival for Jason Alexander uh, that he's talking about the card issue. He just blurts out. No, the rule is a minimum of two days for the card. Yeah, because in George's world, he if he doesn't know, he, he doesn't he'll never say, I don't know. He just lies. <laughs> yeah. So this is just him blurting out nonsense. And Jerry calls him on it like, do you know, or are you just making that up? He's like, oh, I'm just making it up. And so Jerry says, it'd be one thing if I had a mantle. Uh, George agrees. He says, if I had a mantle, I'd be a totally different person. Did you have a mantle growing up? Well, does he mean a Mickey Mantle baseball card? Because that would be worth like $100,000 now. That would be worth a lot of money. Yeah. What is, I don't even know what a mantle is. I know it's like something around the bed. No, no, no. That mantle is more of like a thing, like a, like a shelf, like over the fireplace. I, I guess it doesn't have Oh, I was be, thinking of a night table more. Um, yeah. No, I don't have a mantle. I don't have a fireplace. You have a fireplace? Yeah, we do have a fireplace. Uh, I mean, I don't think the mantle necessarily, it's like any sort of like wall jutting out shelf. I think you could, I don't think it needs to necessarily be over a fireplace. I don't know. My parents called last year. They're like, oh, we're using the fireplace. And they've lived in the same house for 25 years. They never used it once. I'm like, why after 25 years do you, do you first use it? Like, I don't know. We figured out how to use it. Yeah. Okay. Mazel tov, Akiva. Yeah. Mazel tov to the Wienerkers on their new fireplace. Yeah. <laughs> so now, ironically, when we talk, all this talk about mantle, Jerry is looking for a Yankee. Yeah, he needs a Yankee to come. He doesn't specify like because he could have gotten, you know, like the 24th man on the roster. He ends yeah. up getting a good Yankee, but I don't know how, how far down he was willing to go for the, you know, the Yankees 1996 roster, 94 roster. So he feels like he can make it up to Chris. And again, you know, baseball's on strike. So all these Yankees should be around with nothing to do. And so it seems like an opportune time to score one of them. Uh, Jerry says to George, I like this line. He says, like, you know, you do your thing where you lie to everybody. It's my one of my favorite lines of the whole series. It's so great. Yeah, <laughs> because it's such a throwaway. Seinfeld doesn't usually have like these sort of things happening in the background, like almost throwaway lines. But that's it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. So I, I do. Uh, I really love the uh, <laughs> do the thing where you lie to everyone. So Elaine comes in and Jerry is still insisting Noreen was flirting with him. George was there. He says that that wasn't true. That woman was not flirting with you. Uh, yeah, he never knows who's flirting. <laughs> yeah, Jerry says no. She came into the bookstore and she asked where the humor section was. And I feel like that that is a very weak case for the flirt from Jerry. Yeah. Well, no, but he, in his mind, he's a comedian. So she's like, ooh, what can I ask this comedian? Yeah. I'm going to ask him where the humor section is to know that I love comedy, too. Yeah, well, it turns out that Noreen's brother had a book of political cartoons published. Sounds hilarious. Yeah, and she like the brother didn't send her a book, right? Or does she just want to like take a, a selfie of it and send it to him on Instagram? Yeah. Uh, you know, like, look, I went into Barnes and Nobles, and uh, here, here's your political cartoon. Yeah, book. yeah she's gonna take a picture, have it developed, and then uh, mail it to him. 
Yeah, with a card. With a card. Yeah. So George and Elaine are both laughing at Jerry that he thinks that Noreen was flirting with him. So I think this is pretty clear evidence that Noreen is not flirting with Jerry at the start of the episode. Yeah, I think you're you've been proven correct. So Elaine talks about how Mr. Pitt eats his Snickers with a knife and a fork and the light bulb really goes off for George. That's a great idea. Right. I mean, they really did invent this. This was not a concept beforehand. It's not not that it's a concept now, but it's it is really sort of an original thing. It's not a thing. I, I think that it could have caught on, but it didn't catch on for whatever reason. Yeah. So George is like, you know, that's how those society types do it. They don't want to get their fingers dirty. And they're sort of like calling him out about how does he know how society types eat? It is. A, it is sort of a good thought that like because you eat chocolate. One of the hundred things I hate about chocolate. I have like sensory issues. I don't want like the gross chocolate. I don't want to have a snack and then have to wash my hands afterwards. Hmm. You know, if I eat a Twizzler, my hands are clean afterwards. Yeah. You could put the candy bar in the freezer or the refrigerator. And then it won't like smear on your hands? Yeah. Yeah, that's so much work. This is a candy bar. What's this isn't work? Dinner. You put the Kit Kat <laughs> in the freezer. That's, and then you forget about it. And six weeks later, you have this frozen, disgusting Kit Kat. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. At what point does the frozen Kit Kat become disgusting? Yeah, but you, you want to wait six weeks to eat a freaking Kit Kat? No, you said you forgot. I'm not waiting. You said you forgot. Well, fine. So set yourself an iPhone reminder to eat your frozen Kit Kat later. Yeah, it's delicious. There's so much work. This is a candy. You're way in the wrong on this. <laughs> I wouldn't even do that much work for, for dinner. I, well, I, obviously, because you've never had a delicious frozen Kit Kat. I've never even had a, a warm Kit Kat. Kit Kats are, are disgusting. Well, a warm Kit Kat would be disgusting. And you know what? And you, like, you bring the, you know, your mom packs you a Kit Kat for school when you're in like seventh grade. And... By the time you take it out, like you forget about it during lunch, you take it out during like recess or something. And it's, this, you know, it, it's like melted or it's gross. And, and it, yeah, I mean, the Kit Kat does not stay well. Yeah. Well, you try it in the freezer. You do yourself a favor, Akiva. Um, I'm never I a hundred dollars to have one bite of a Kit Kat. I wouldn't do it. Well, nobody would pay you that because you would <laughs> you should you would pay a hundred dollars for a delicious frozen. Yeah. Kit Kat. Uh, the, I, by the way, if Kit Kat wants to sponsor the podcast, we're still open. <laughs> we're screwed. Well, okay. now we are. All right. So George asked the waitress, did he get overcharged for the extra toast? And I didn't really notice it in the moment. I forgot to look at it when it happened. But George says that the woman gave him the middle finger. She pointed to the check with her middle finger. And Akiva, are you buying yeah. that? Is the waitress doing this on purpose? I think she is. I think sometimes you do it subconsciously, even if you're not doing it on purpose. Like you hate this guy. So I'm just going to like... Because sometimes I'll like scratch my face and I'll realize it was with my middle finger. I'm like, oh, no, I hope he doesn't think that I was like giving him the finger. But now it's like then I'm going to like bring my f- my finger back and like, oh, I was just scratching my beard or something the whole time. Yeah, I do think she's giving him the finger here. Yeah. Hey, Jerry, George is the worst possible, you know, customer you could have at the table because he whines about every price. Look what he's doing. He's complaining about the toast and he's wrong. Yeah. And Jerry says that's how waitress types express derision. Uh, going back to that's how society types eat. So a uh, little bit of the middle finger storyline going on. Uh, yeah, there are some nice through lines throughout this whole episode. Yeah. And that's one of them. Does it bum you out? Have you ever gotten the finger, Akiva? I, I f- I'm sure I've gotten hundreds of times jokingly. Yeah. I don't think I've ever gotten it driving or in a classic scenario, but maybe I have. I don't know. When you're a kid, there's like a stage where everyone's giving everyone the finger. Yeah. I feel like my wife has uh, given uh, me the middle finger often. But is it but is it semi joking? No, no, because <laughs> I'll get it semi joking, but I don't know if I get it like because if if someone's really mad, I feel like there's better ways to express it than the right. middle finger. 
Right. That's that's like a moderately upset. So we go to George in his meeting at the Yankees. And do, does his boss here have a name that I'm looking at IMDb? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah no, well, not in the episode. But yeah, this is Morgan. Morgan. He's just not he's just not named uh, in this episode. This is his first of his uh, few appearances. Morgan. There's a couple of you know, Noreen we see again, but just once. And then uh, Morgan and Nana make their debuts in this episode. Okay. So here's Morgan, and he's conducting the meeting. George is saying that, hey, could we get a Yankee to be on PBS? Morgan says, well, don't the Yankees already do enough on Channel 11? And I like how George, very smug about uh, Channel 11, you know, he's like really like looking down his nose at Channel 11. This is funny. I, maybe it's a, like a little funnier if you grew up and you know Channel 11 was, you know, what was then, I think, the WB and now called now the cw yeah well, WP, WPIX. wpix yeah right. the thing which i believe is the mets and the yankees have been on nine for a long time but, mm-hmm. yeah. uh which was upn and now i don't even know what nine is called <laughs> i don't know but, my nine uh, i think my nine but i think i think um yeah it is funny because it was the trashiest channel they would have like garbage television shows like on the richard day. bay show well i mean they didn't you know the, the the wb didn't they had cartoons and then they got into like dawson's creek and now they have real shows and i think they cater towards teens mostly yeah but but um, back then it was like really trashy. So it's just funny. He's like Channel Eleven. <laughs> yeah. So George starts eating his Snickers bar with a knife and a fork, and Morgan is like, "Hey, what what are you doing there?" And he's George again, very smug. He's like, "Yeah, I'm having my dessert. How do you eat it with your hands?" And Morgan is like, "Oh, maybe George is onto something." Yeah. You know, now he he acts all regal, and uh, and you know, they everything he says sounds smarter. Yes, because now George. He's eating candy with a knife and a fork. He has an in at PBS. So now, you know, Morgan really wants to uh, go highbrow now. And maybe they'll send Danny Tartable to go to the PBS pledge drive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the problems with being a Major League Baseball player, those guys must get hit up for chari- like these types of things a hundred times a day. Uh, even- like even if it's even if it's your life's mission, these guys, you like you have to like say, you know, you say yes to some things, but you probably have to say no a thousand times a day. It's really uh that's that's really the main reason why I didn't become a professional baseball player. Yeah, too much charity. That's how Geno Smith got in trouble with uh, I.K. Income Kali. Do you want to take that name again? No, no I'm <laughs> kidding. I don't know how to say it either. But yeah, no, it is right. He wanted to go to his event and he forgot about it, or and the guy wanted him to refund the ticket. It, Income that was very. What is it? What is it? I think it's in. I don't know. It's impossible to pronounce because <laughs> there's like five consonants in a row. In the what must his first Indian. name be if he's going by I.K. I think it's just like, I don't know. It's hard. That's a hard name. Uh, I think that's probably Gino said like, oh, I can't pronounce your name. And he just punched him. It had nothing to do with the charity event. Yeah. I was thinking like if someone won the Powerball, you played the Powerball, right? I did not. Oh, good. I'm so proud because obviously I didn't go near. I wouldn't pay. I I was in New York, but I didn't play the Powerball. That's not my sort of thing. It was too much money. It was too much money. Like uh, that's a curse. A hundred percent. It's funny people sitting home when it's 22 million, but it goes up to over a billion and they're like, yep, that's my time. Yeah, I don't I'm even want that much money. Garbage. Yeah. It's true. I, I, I would be like, uh, it, nah, I don't want to lump some. I don't, but think about, especially like I live in a, like a close knit community where like people sometimes knock on your door and ask for charity, right? Think about if you won the Powerball, how many people would be hitting you up all day? Yeah. Like I, I can't even handle now. People asking for $100 for their stupid bike races. Right. Think you know. about how many parasites would just come out of the woodwork. Oh, let me handle your money. Let me do this. Let me do this. Let me kidnap there would your be kids. Like, so yeah, it, it's, it would be true. a nightmare. You need to hire security immediately. I know. And also, like, I saw, I don't know, I didn't really follow up on this, but like one of the guys went on the Today Show with the guy from Tennessee who won. Yeah. And he just had the ticket in his pocket. Let's say you were flying to the Today Show 
for, you know, how many times would your wife yell at you? Are you sure the ticket's still in your, you know, your breast pocket? Are you sure it's still there? I, I would literally, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you not give that ticket in right away? Because if you lose it, you're just out of luck, right? Right, right. It's you're a, holding, it's you're literally holding like a $300 million in your hand. Let's would, write yeah. a movie. It's a, it's a horror movie about a guy who wins the lottery. That's not a bad idea. <laughs> I mean, it could be, it could, is that a, more of a show? Is it like a one season show? I feel like it's been done as a show. I feel like. Well, I mean, right. Like it happens to, uh, to Hurley on Lost, like mm-hmm. more gradually. Yeah, but. I guess so. But this is not a curse ticket. It just shows you like how terrible it is to like uh, all of a sudden you just like uh, get like all this money and everybody knows that you have it. I think about all the accountants and you oh, have it's, like. It's terrible. It's terrible. They, oh my gosh. Yeah. I would, I mean, I'd settle for like, uh, what, what's the most you'd want to win? To win, uh, I, I don't know, like uh, $20 million. You want enough that you never have to worry about college. Right. But the problem is, though, like even that thing about that, it's like college for you and for me, you know, for your kids and my kids when in 20 years from now. Well, now we're like Nana. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be 90 grand for you. Like your son's going to like, I want to go to UCLA or something. Well, not if like, okay, that's <laughs> vote for Bernie Sanders. Oh, boy. That's uh, OK. That's a good point. That, I th- but it's it, I can't even like fathom. It's a, your 20 million won't even pay for their education <laughs> after tax. What if we invest it right? Yeah. And, and also they do like the lump sum. I know I'd make the wrong decision on the lump sum versus the annuity. Mm-hmm. And then my wife would be yelling at me about it every single day. Yeah. Like I told you that you should have done the annuity because if you do the annuity and you die right away you still you have to pay out in estate taxes all that money which you don't have yet because you've only gotten a 30th of it or whatever so you're you're like done you have to basically like go to some you're like now worth negative 200 turn your monopoly cards over right yeah so then like every time i ate something unhealthy my wife would be like no you if you die we're screwed (laughs) (laughs) which would actually be good it would probably be in my interest for my wife not to want me to die but yeah you want to incentivize that you want to have that all line up yeah, right now I think it's the opposite. Right now she gets a lot of money if I do die. <laughs> All right, well let's let's stick with uh, Jerry and cashing his checks. And he goes to the ATM with Kramer, and they cash in all those ten dollar checks. And all of a sudden, Nana gets a call from the branch of the bank, and uh, that Nana's account is overdrawn. Chemical Bank, which I think is a real bank. Yeah, it is. Now I don't know if it still is, but it certainly was at one point. Now Akiva. What is the statute of limitations on if you write a check? Don't you have to cash it in a certain amount of time? I believe it's six months because, six months. because I've done this. I got a couple wedding presents mm-hmm. and then it's awkward because like they'll a lot of like a lot of people who are anal about their their books will actually like call you or email you and be like, hey, just asking like how come it never got deposited? But you forget one or two, you know, you're getting especially at a wedding, you're getting like Either, you know, you're just putting checks in your pocket and some are going to your uncle and your aunt, whatever. And you, you don't, you know, they're not all in one place. And then you forget about them or you get some letter and you never deposit it. And so the, so I, uh, like I have to, I called this guy and they're like, uh, if you, you don't have to, but like write another check. So then the guy writes a second check, but I never got it. And now I can't make a third call saying I never got your check because now I'm just harassing him. Mm. So now I'm out like $300 from the wedding presenters. <laughs> yeah uh nicole recently said to me like oh you know i think i wrote a check to somebody and i wrote 2015 on it am i like come on get it together (laughs) get it together all right so nana gets the call from chemical bank she needs to go down to the branch so the next scene is then like nana turning off the alarm at 5 30 in the morning but she's like already dressed so how did this happen did nana just like uh go to bed dressed the night before it's a very strange scene i don't think there's a commercial uh when it aired on the television show but it's like 
you know, scenes, you rarely see the same set two scenes in a row. That's sort of like a Seinfeld staple. You know, sometimes it'll, it'll even like we'll go from the apartment to Monk's just because they want to like not do back to back to make it clear. Yeah, it's a little weird. I'm not totally sure like why she's dressed. You know, I guess they're trying to say that she's becoming senile, maybe. And she's I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. So we go to the diner and George tells Jerry Danny Tartable is in pending approval of the script. Again, George is like really being a big shot. Uh, Kramer also wants to uh, see the script ahead of time. Yeah, I was thinking with Tartable, like Tartable, if you're George and you're trying to get a Yankee in 94, let's make like a little quick power rankings here. So number one, Don Mattingly, right? Uh, I would guess so. I, I don't have the 94 Yankee roster open in front well, of me. Well, okay. So you got Don Mattingly probably ahead of Tartable. Wade Boggs, probably number two. Yeah. That would probably be better. Then uh, Bernie Williams was was a rookie, I think. So he wouldn't be more famous than Tartable at that point. Yeah. But I, but Paul O'Neill, who we see later in the series, I think O'Neill goes before Tartable. Too. Well, so yeah, really, he had a bit of a resume from uh, Cincinnati. Like, he, yeah, he was good on Cincinnati. On the, I think he was even on the World Series team in 1990. What about uh, Jimmy Key? Anybody care about Jimmy Key? Yeah, the pitchers in general are less Jim exciting. Abbott. Now, that's that's a name. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a lot of fun. You know, they have Laritz who didn't become famous till two years later. A mm-hmm. uh, couple ex Mets, Daryl Boston, Kevin Elster, Bob Ojeda's there. Yeah, Bob, uh, Bob Ojeda, uh, you know, Steve Howe, who uh, I believe was kicked out of baseball for cocaine mm-hmm. very soon after that. Yeah, so that's a, there's some good names, but I do think uh, I'd say Abbott goes before him, and obviously Donnie Baseball and uh, yeah and Boggs. People him. are tuning in for Jim Abbott. Yeah, I, th- I think once you get past Abbott and you're you're talking to like Sterling Hitchcock, I think that's you know that's you may as well not even bother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, so then uh, George insists that the waitress uh, gave him the finger the other day, so they do a test. And Jerry asks her to point to something on the menu. She points clearly with the index finger. But then when George asks her something, uh, she scratches her face with the middle finger. Yeah, it was a smart test. Yeah. Kramer says uh, she definitely knew what she was doing. I do think a lot of times that Kramer does tend to be the voice of reason here. Uh, yeah, when, when, it's not, when it's not Kramer's scene, he is. He's sort, of, he's sort of neutral because he doesn't have an agenda like Jerry and George do usually. Right, and he doesn't have a filter. So he basically uh, can see Yeah, that's see true. He's honest. <laughs> so uh, she knows what she was doing. All right. So we see Nana now wandering around in the alley, and there's like a menacing guy that sort of comes up to her, and it looks like Nana's in trouble. But then it turns out that the guy is like, uh, the bank is burned. It's gone. And then he ends up being very helpful. He says, uh, you need to go to 49th Street and talk to Mr. Fleming. Yeah, I do like that he just randomly knows like the person. It is funny. Although, wait, you see this old lady. Help her out. You know, drive her there or something. Yeah. All right, so Uncle Leo is making an appearance here. Uncle Leo calls Jerry. Nana is missing. She's not here. Yeah, this is a funny scene, too, because Kramer. Again, it's a funny scene, but Uncle Leo gives us two very different pieces of information. He says, Nana hasn't left the apartment in 25 years, and he's here to take her to her doctor's appointment. Yeah, I think he means, like, hasn't left on her own, Mm -hmm. you know, because she's clearly maybe senile, and yeah, it's not like she hasn't been to a doctor in 25 years, but I think... uh, I do think Nana is, uh, you know, probably maybe not. She's past the point. Maybe she has help during the day. She's past the point she could go anywhere on her own. Right. And so Kramer insists that your Nana is missing because she's passing those bad checks around town. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I do like it because <laughs> Kramer gets blamed. So he's like, oh, no, this is where Kramer stops being neutral when he gets involved. Right. He says, uh, 
She's passing bum checks all around town. She passed to the wrong guy. <laughs> I do like the visual of like someone finally beating up Nana for bouncing checks. Yeah, she's like Heisenberg. Yeah. So we end up seeing that Noreen walks past Morgan, who's on the street, and he is eating a Snickers bar uh, with a knife and fork. Boy, so much product placement for Snickers. Yeah, I mean, they really must have done well. You know, had, what is it, 35 million people at this point watching the show? Yeah. And they're not, I don't think anybody ever paid Seinfeld as far as I know for the product placement. Yeah, I could go for a Snickers after watching it. Yeah, no, it didn't get me. <laughs> so we see Elaine at Monks now with Noreen. They're at the counter and they're having a conversation. And Elaine explains that Dan is a high talker, not loud, but his voice is high pitched. Uh, yeah, which it seems almost unbelievable that Noreen wouldn't have recognized it. But I guess she's and they're not married, right? They're just dating. They're just dating. So it's, it's pretty shocking that like it's, you know, it's one thing if you've been with someone for 20 years, you could forget. But this seems like something it would be unlikely for her not to know. But Elaine's pretty insulting here that she starts talking about how, you know, well, he can sound like a woman. and He looks like a man. So he has that. Noreen's like, yeah, I guess so. Right, he's bald, he burps. That's a guy thing. And Yeah, those are guy things. Yeah. And then the subject of Jerry comes up and Noreen, it's almost like her whole like dating compass is reset at this point where that high pitched equals negative and in terms of Jerry, she says, "Well, he's sort of a baritone, isn't he?" So it's like, okay, well, Jerry has a deep voice. So I think it's human nature. Like when a, when a football team, like they fire their coach and he was a defensive coach, they go with an offensive coach usually next. Same thing here. It's like, get rid of the squeaky guy. You want someone with a deep voice. See, I thought you were going to say that if you have a team that it's a player's coach, then you have to bring in a guy. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. Well, right. That's what the Jets did, for example. Yeah. But a lot of times they say offense for Stevens. But yeah, if you you have a guy who's like Herm, we need Mangini. Oh, like, right. get rid we of Mangini. Be- <laughs> we need Rex. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Oh, so the next Jets' next coach is going to like let them not practice ever. <laughs> well, no. What do we have now? Oh, he's a, he's not a players' coach. He's he's very serious. Yeah, Bulls. it's like oh, we need to get rid of Pete Carroll. He's too loosey goosey. Bring in Rich Kotite. He's going to button things up around here because he and plus and he thinks that nine eleven happened. So it's <laughs> different than Carroll. Yeah. Although uh, the Jets have gone with a bunch of defensive coaches in a row, so it's not necessarily yeah, like the offensive defensive thing. Yeah, a lot of sports talk this week, guys. Yeah. Okay. So Noreen is now eating a cookie with a knife and a fork. What do you think about the cookie with a knife and a fork? Yeah. I mean, it has to be like one of those hot chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. I could I could sort of understand that. I'm out on a cookie. Cookie's going to break apart into a million pieces. Yeah. It doesn't. The texture doesn't really uh, mesh with the knife. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll, you're right. It will be a mess. You're right. Like the Snickers bar makes sense from sort of like physically just cutting it. It kind of makes sense to cut it into pieces. So George is driving with Danny Tartable and George says that a guy cut them off and gave him and Danny Tartable the finger. Yeah. And Tartable doesn't protest, but he's sort of indifferent towards this whole thing. He's pretty indifferent about the whole thing. And so that, hey, we cannot let the good name of the Yankees be uh, brought down by this guy who's given us the finger. Yeah. George is like, you know, he insulted the Yankees as if George is on the team. Yeah. All right, so Nana is at the bank. She's getting to the bottom of this, and so she's going to call up Jerry at his apartment. Elaine answers the phone, and they're talking about how, oh, boy, this Dan, he keeps calling up over and over again, and here it is, and they expect that it's Dan, and Elaine answers and says, look, nobody wants to talk to you, and she basically tells, thinking it's Dan, to drop dead. Yeah, this is a hilarious scene. Yeah. Great case of mistaken identity. 
Yeah, Nana is probably freaking. She probably just assumed she like you know uh, didn't even like she heard wrong or something. There's no way she thought that. Yeah, uh, Kramer comes in, and again, no word from Nana. And Elaine says, "Hmm, Nana was supposed to call. What does Nana sound like?" <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Jerry puts it together. You hung up on Nana. You told Nana to drop dead. Yeah, so they realize like, oh no, this is terrible, terrible news. Uh, we see now in the car that Danny Tartable and George uh, stopped to get donuts. Like, I don't believe the box of donuts was there in the first place, but now it's there. And did Danny Tartable and George go through uh, a dozen donuts on this car ride? I mean, they got nothing else to do. It's probably awkward small talk. They're not friends. So I believe it. Yeah. Now, Danny Tartable is eating the frosted donut with a knife and fork. You like this? Yeah. I mean, again, sticky hands. You know, you don't want to come out, especially Danny Tartable is probably shaking a lot of hands. You this know, makes the look, most sense out of yeah. all of the things we've talked about. Yeah. A glazed donut gets really sticky. The jelly donut gets gross when it's on your hand. Like yeah. most donuts are better. You know, a classic, you know, regular donut with like sprinkles that kids eat that that I don't think you need a uh, knife and fork for. But you can cut up a donut. I don't think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Now, how did Danny Tartable start doing this? Now, we see like it sort of spreads from Mr. Pitt, like does it in front of Elaine, who tells George and George makes more, you know, does it in front of Morgan. Morgan is doing it in front of Noreen and she starts doing it. But how do we get to Danny Tartable? Do we assume that Danny Tartable saw Morgan somewhere doing this? Yeah, I think it, it, it sort of infested the entire Yankees organization. <laughs> this is like the zombie virus that's just like, uh, you know, fear the walking dead, just like going. I thought everywhere. you were going to say A-Rod when I said infested the Yankees organization. No, no, no. <laughs> so uh, we end up seeing now Kramer. He is at the PBS drive. He wants a tote bag. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like you give someone give them a little something for doing the charity. They're still doing the tote bags, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're selling the tote bags. Definitely. People are walking around with those tote bags. Yeah, well, tote bag, I think, is getting more popular. People putting their groceries in tote bag. Yeah, and also, like, back then, I feel like men wouldn't walk around with tote bags. But now in this post-gender society, I think men can uh, walk around with tote bags. It's fine. Yeah. Uncle Leo shows up at PBS to say, Nana is fine. Yeah, everyone's just showing up at PBS. I like it. Uncle Leo... Uncle Leo seems very like he's usually very hostile to Jerry, but here he's pro Jerry in this episode. It's strange. He's very concerned about Jerry because he thinks that Jerry might be short on money and he's trying to give money to Jerry. Yeah, I mean, which is weird. Like you're yeah, Jerry's not getting paid for this PBS gig, but like he's there, you know, hosting a television show. It's weird to be concerned about how much money he has, but I guess he's worried and he thinks maybe Jerry could be mixed up in some trouble. Why is it bad? Like he deposited checks that were sent to him. I'm not sure what leads you to believe that that means he needs the money. Yeah, well, they were a bunch of checks, I think, that maybe made, he must have felt like, why would you care? Like, maybe there's something like that's inherent about Jerry's family, where it's like, ah, you can't take the money from Nana. Like, you know, there's like a lot of the stuff that goes on between Jerry and Morty. Like, I can't take money from my son. I can't take money from grandma. And then the fact that he did take the money, they must be like, oh, he must be desperate that he's cashing Nana's checks. I guess, yeah. So then uh, we're also looking for Danny Tartable. Hopefully that he shows up soon. Uh, yeah, we don't know. We, we're still waiting. We don't know where he is. Okay. So here's Dan. He shows up here and uh, he's knocking the door and Jerry doesn't want to talk to him. He doesn't want to talk, talk to Dan. He actually thinks it might be Noreen. Yeah, it's hard, hard to tell. Yeah, it could be Dan, Noreen or Nana. So Jerry mentions about how, oh, with this whole this whole situation, uh, you know, I can't deal with this anymore. Kramer's going to go outside to take care of it. And Jerry ends up leading Kramer to believe that, that it is, or in Jerry's mind, it's Noreen. 
But Kramer hears that, like, okay, this person uh, is in love with me. Then Kramer thinks that Dan has a thing for Jerry. Yeah, he says, he's all I think about it. I can't get, I can't get him out of my mind. So, yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> a little strange. Okay, so Kramer, very progressive here that he is uh, speaking on behalf of PBS. And, I, do, uh, he, I do like it because it's almost like George talking about the Yankees as if he's on the Yankees. Yeah. That's about Kramer's level at PBS at this point. Yeah, he talks about all the different programs uh, that are for the gay community on PBS. Gender bending, <laughs> swinging in San Francisco. Um, I didn't check. I usually check. I didn't check if these are real shows. But no, I didn't great. think that that was a real show. I thought that he was giving the synopsis of a show. Oh, I think he, he gave he gave the synopsis of a real show, which I which I remember like uh, like I feel like it made a lot of headlines uh, when it was on like in the nineties, and I think that that was sort of like the logline for it. I, I did just Google swinging in San Francisco, and luckily none of my kids are in the room right now. Yeah, no, I don't think there was <laughs> no, there was not a show on PBS called Swinging in San Francisco. That, I guess that makes sense now, but uh, I'm all over like Craigslist and Reddit here. There's a lot of weird things. I, my daughter is really into magic, and she wanted a magic wand. Um, so I, I searched for it on Google to buy our magic wand yep. at, in front of her. Not great. Not the best decision yep. I ever made. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, the name of the show that Kramer's talking about is the Armistead Maupin's Tales from the City. Uh, and the description of that show is the stories of several colorful characters living in San Francisco. Uh, and so that is, that is what Kramer's referencing. It's a mini series on PBS. Got it. I thought I thought they started with Downton Abbey. I didn't realize they did grown up shows before that. Yeah, I, I think there was like nudity in it. I think that's why it was on my radar. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if someone's listening who's like twenty, uh, so they hear like how de- desperate people were in nineteen ninety four, they're checking out PBS. Yeah, I think I like read in the oh. newspaper like, oh, this show's very controversial. It has nudity in it. I'm like, hey, let me let me see <laughs> when that this VCR. is on. <laughs> let me see when this is on. Ma, when, when are you guys going out of the house? <laughs> when, is, when is Armistead Maupin's Tales of the City on? Olympia Dukakis, Lauren Linney, Laura Linney. Big stars. <laughs> I could be misremembering. I mean, I'm thinking something else on PBS, but I feel like that that was definitely... Uh, 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 are you talking about Sesame Street again? No, there was... No, there was Elmo is generally wearing nothing. Yeah, the, 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 this, we don't want that kind of audience, Akiva. On the, uh, okay, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Parker Posey. Yeah. <laughs> big big yeah. names at the show. Yes, um, according to IMDb, much has been made of the sex and nudity, but it's relatively tame compared to uh, most modern day fare. According to IMDb. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So Kristen ends up walking by, and uh, she asks Dan, "Are you Danny Tartable?" He is great. <laughs> it's so random. I don't even no, know. I'm the not Danny Tartable. <laughs> Does he look like a baseball player in any way? He's built a little bit like Hideki Arabu, but he's shorter. Maybe could he be like the manager of a baseball team? I, he could be the bench coach. I feel like that's usually a short, stocky guy. Yeah. Like the Don Zimmer type. Yeah, he is a Don Zimmer type. All right. So now George is at the gas station and the guy at the gas station is like, hey, is that Danny Tartable? Uh, as George is like confronting him about like, hey, you cut me off way back there. The, ga- the guy at the gas station is maybe the worst actor in the history of the show. Like, I don't think they gave him the script because it doesn't make sense. He's he didn't like, get did to you? approve the script like Danny Tartable? No, he did not have script approval like Kramer and Danny Tartable. <laughs> it doesn't make sense because he's like, I believe you cut me off, whatever. He's like, really? Like, he's, he's like enthralled with this. It doesn't make sense. Like I did? Boy, how many people would recognize uh, Danny Tartable? You know, I'm very bad with facial recognition, so I would never get it. But I feel like people back in, uh, in you know, 94, he was a big deal. He was that big of a deal? How many career home runs do you think Danny Tartable hit? Uh, 280. Yeah, very close. 262. So he was a good player. 
So uh, he said, boy, I would love to go there and shake his hand, but I can't. And he showed, hold up his hand as the cast with the middle finger uh, pointing up. Very funny. Yeah. But I forgot to mention, you know, we talked about this two weeks ago when Tartable was on the show. Yeah. But he is still a fugitive from justice. Yeah. So you know, we, <laughs> we talked about Tartabullish, I think was the hashtag. Oh, that's right. But I do think we shouldn't make too much fun because he's on the run. He's got nothing to lose, Tartable. So yeah. we really shouldn't rag him too much. Uh, wait, how did we piss him off? No, we didn't. We, we mentioned he had 262 career homers. That's very good. Yeah. We said he was one of the top five Yankees you'd want if you were hosting a PBS special. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, but Tartable, uh, don't kill us. Right, what about this? What about if we got Danny Tartable to pay his child support? Should we get a cut of what he? Oh, going- you're like Kramer with PBS yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, we I mean, had nothing. Point, we, I mean, should we get something? I think we just thought of another show. We had, what was the show we thought of before? I don't even remember if we were on air when right. we thought of it. Here's what we do. Uh, we get we get Danny Tartable to whatever money he has. We go play Powerball, okay? And then we uh, take whatever Danny Tartable has. We, you know, go like like look. You, Danny Tartable wasn't giving you anything for this child support. Here's everything he has. We're putting it all on Powerball. Let's see what happens. Yeah, but can a judge? You get some injunction and take that money or something. Well, we're paying off. We're the child taking your Powerball tickets. We're paying off the child. Yeah, support. But, I mean, this isn't making a dent in the child support he owes. Right at this point, with interest, do you have to pay interest? But what if that's our new show? It's we're writing a show where we're basically bounty hunters right. for child support people. I love it because the bad guy is like a real bad guy. You know, we're going after. Well, would we be good at this in any way? You're very no, good at looking up things on the internet. We, yeah, we're good at finding them, but then we're inept. To bring them in because we're both a bunch of wimps like right. they're gonna pull a gun on us right. we're gonna pee our pants no but that's so, every, it's a comedy no so what we'll have to Sorry. do so you'll be good this is what the show is so you're good at like sort of like okay you can sort of like find them on the internet you'll do sort of like the research the records and i'll sort of like come up with sort of like the uh like far-fetched like uh nathan for you type thing where we'll sort of like entrap the guy but it won't be anything sort of dangerous uh we'll like like come to his house and tell him like he's won a contest uh, and sort of like uh, trick him into going someplace. It is a good idea. I do think we need a third guy who's muscle. <laughs> yeah, we need because we need to intimidate them a little bit. Okay, so maybe Who'd that's the muscle? pitch for why yeah. Danny Tartable needs to hang out with us. We'll tell him that he's part of a show and he's going to be the muscle on the show. We saw him on Seinfeld. We know he's going. Oh, camera. that's good. Yeah. That's good. See? And he wants some money. Yeah. And but we won't we won't list him as Danny Tartable. We'll list him as like, uh, you know, Sterling Hitchcock or something. So nobody knows that. It's him. What, what about Ruben Sierra? We'll tell everyone who's Ruben Sierra. He was going to be a big star. Ruben Sierra. Uh, uh, yeah, he was the player. Ruben Sierra. Yeah. Uh, now, who stole Derek Jeter's glove? Oh, Ruben Rivera. Ruben Rivera, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ruben, Ruben Rivera, if we have him as our third guy, we'll be like, what happened to the money? <laughs> he keeps taking our money. That's a whole different show. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, does Ruben Rivera owe any child support? Uh, I don't know. Probably, I, I don't know. Yeah, it was probably yeah. He's we probably in jail, I think. Probably, yeah. But that's that's a look. I don't want to disparage the great Ruben Rivera, Yankee legend yeah. Ruben Rivera. I'm, anybody anti Jeter, I am in favor of. So if you steal all of his equipment, okay. So uh, anyway, that we are back at the pledge drive. That Jerry's doing his whole spiel up on stage, and uh, Nana calls up, and Nana gets Kramer on the phone. Yeah, and Kramer. Uh, this is. I mean, this scene is wacky, but uh, this is funny here. Yeah, Kramer thinks it's Dan calling again. Yeah, nobody knows if it's Dan, if it's Noreen, or if it's Nana, but this is Nana. <laughs> and Nana really sounds nothing like Noreen or Dan. No, no, no. It's very easy. I mean, Nor- Dan's voice is way squeakier than anybody else's. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. So then uh, Kramer ends up upselling Nana up to $1,500. Don't be a freeloader, Nana. You watch these shows. Well, which is like 50 grand in modern times, because in her mind, she's giving $1,500 <laughs> in the 50s. Right. Right. So uh, Uncle Leo comes running out and says, oh, she's on a fixed income. Yeah. I did. There's no security by the stage. Yeah. They could have used maybe Ruben Rivera is also like his part time job is he's, you know, blocking people from because on television, like there is usually a guy who will tackle you if you're going to walk onto the stage. Yeah. This does seem like a bad job by Kramer to get Nana to pony up fifteen hundred dollars. And also like like at what point? First of all, if someone said a million, I get Kramer interrupting the broadcast. But for fifteen hundred bucks, I don't think you can you could maybe tell a producer during commercial and they'll come on and talk to you. But like to yell out in the middle of the broadcast, I don't know. I've never watched one of these pledge drives. Maybe that happens when you have a big pledge. You may be. All right. And that's uh, sort of where we end uh, the episode proper. And then we come back to Jerry and Elaine at the diner and uh, talking about how uh, he got a card from Kristen. Uh, this one's not as nice. It has a uh, Bugs Bunny giving you the finger. Um, it's a funny idea, but it does not seem realistic in any way that there's any yeah, sort of it's insane. card. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. There's in a, there's a deleted scene where Kramer gives Jerry uh, a card because Nana's missing. <laughs> yeah. What does and, it say? And then he sees it in the guard. It doesn't say anything. He's just, Oh, I gave him the card because his Nana's missing. I, I feel bad for him. And, but he sees it in the garbage. That's how it comes up. Yeah. And now everybody at Monks is just cutting up almond joys that Jerry says that he's seeing people eating M&Ms with a spoon and Elaine is like, what's wrong with you people? Yeah, the end, the very end doesn't really work because like, why is Elaine so mad? She wasn't so upset when she saw Pitt do it in the first place. Like why? I guess she just thinks like the whole world's going crazy. But, you know, it's there's not really like a great, uh, yeah. you know, like closing thing here, but it's still very funny. Elaine didn't make a big fuss about it in the first place with Mr. Pitt. You know, I guess she doesn't want to get fired by Mr. Pitt by making a fuss, but it doesn't really make a lot of sense. She does hate Sue Ellen Mischke, the O. Henry candy bar era. So maybe she has a thing about candy. Yeah, but it mostly seems like Snickers and Almond Joys here and maybe some M&Ms with spoons. Yeah. I was in the drugstore with my son the other day and like I had to pay and I like took my eyes off him and he started opening up uh, candy bars uh, <laughs> and he opened up a hundred grand that I had to pay for. And then uh, Nicole was mad that what he couldn't open up something good. Uh, well, you didn't let him eat it after that. No, 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 no. Or he didn't want to eat it. Uh, oh, so you mean he's punished because he opened it. Kind right. Of. He just like opened up like a, he's just like, a, he's like at that eye level with that candy he opened up a hundred grand. I, that's probably why they do it. That's how they make all their sales. Like little kids just ripping open all the packages yeah i believe uh josh wiggler is a big hundred grand fan i'm tr- i'm trying to remember if that was the candy bar that he's a big fan of yeah if i had to pick a candy bar it's definitely nestle crunch nestle crunch okay all right akiva let's talk through uh what we thought overall again i feel like everything holds up except for the one dollar hallmark cards uh you want to do letter grades real quick yeah letter grades okay uh george has a lot going on in this episode with that he's eating the snickers bar with knives and forks and then he's getting danny tartable and he's always getting the finger oh uh, yeah george solid a here solid a jerry with the pbs pledge drive and nana's checks um jerry doesn't really have a home run moment it's hard to grade because everything's sort of happening around jerry like a lot of different episodes yeah so i'll give him an a minus but it's hard to say what's jerry here and what sort of everybody else's he's very good at being histrionic about with uh you hung up on nana you told nana to drop dead yeah but are we giving jerry the points for that are we giving elaine the you know it's hard to really assign the points here (laughs) yeah and everything with that with the high talker yeah they, they do a really good job of crossing all the stories here 
Excellent. One of the best they've done so far. And it's, it's something they get much better at in the last few seasons. Okay, Kramer and everything going on with him working at the pledge drive and uh, pushing Jerry to cash the checks. Uh, yeah, Kramer doesn't have, does he have one home run moment? Uh, I don't think so, but he's pretty funny throughout the episode. I'll give Kramer an A minus. Yeah, I think his best moment is when he's with Danny at the PBS drive where he's uh, telling him about the programs on PBS. I, I'm going to revive. Yeah, my Jerry grade also has to be an A because I forgot about that. Do that thing you do where you lie to everyone. That's that's such a great line. That has to be an A. And Elaine. Um. Yeah. I mean, Elaine. I guess you give her all like the Dan. I mean, Dan's voice is funny when you talk about like the high talkers, low talkers. Like this is actually you know this you hear it and it's funny. Like the low talker, you don't even know what's going on because they're whispering until the end when they yell. Yeah. Um. But uh, so that's funny. So I guess if you're giving her points for that, I'll give Elaine an A minus. Also, the Mister Pitt scenes are, are generally the weakest in season six. Yeah. All right, so high marks all around. Akiva, where does this land in your rankings? Um, okay, so the pledge drive. I do think it's an underrated episode. I, uh, I, I is it the? I mean, we've only we're only a few in the season six, so it's not much to say that it's the strongest so far in season six. But I'll uh, I give the pledge drive number fifty three overall. Fifty three. Boom. I feel like that's a little low. Uh, yeah, listen, it could be higher, but there's a lot of good episodes to come. Yeah. So I feel like that this is an episode where. Plot wise, everything works pretty well here, but it doesn't have that home run moment. So it does feel like in our discussion of Seinfeld episodes that if there is a, you know, transcendent moment, that's the ultimate trump card here. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's, it's a good point. I think now looking at my rankings, it does seem like if you hit the one home run, it's better than hitting like four doubles. But yeah, I do it uh, in terms of all around solid this episode although it doesn't stick the very ending of the landing is you know you could make a case that this episode is really up there because it's so solid okay let's get into taking some of our seinfeld email questions seinfeld at post show recaps let's start off with colin who says hey guys it's colin your delivery guy correspondent weighing in on the pledge drive do you remember we had a delivery guy correspondent uh yeah yeah he's mentioned it a couple times okay i wait unless he delivers the mail then we really want to speak to colin <laughs> colin says as a pizza guy, I've delivered to thousands of customers. And let me tell you, the desire to secretly express derision the way that the monk's waitress did in the pledge drive is something I think all of us customer service people feel from time to time. George is known to be a cheap tipper and is probably an annoying customer at the coffee shop. And if he was a customer at my pizza shop, we might call him a stiff behind his back. That word definitely spreads among the drivers about who's a generous tipper and who is not. And this is a secret that they don't want you to know. If we have several deliveries at once, we will almost always deliver to the good tippers first and the bad tippers last. Akiva, did you know this? I had no idea, but I feel like Colin is trying to pressure everyone to giving better tips, but this is a very good idea. He also says, I wonder if either of you have any anecdotes about working in customer service and how you dealt with bad customers. I heard that the Disneyland cast members who are notoriously required to stay in character no matter what urge annoying park visitors to have a Disney day as a way of secretly ridiculing them. I guess they don't want Mickey Mouse going around flipping park guests the bird. Well, I don't know if Mickey Mouse has a middle finger. I think that he has an even number of digits, right? Yeah. And also, I, I, Colin, this is a great email, but he doesn't stick the landing because he, he ends his email with, thanks, guys, have a great week. And he should have told us to have a Disney week. Have a Disney week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any <laughs> customer service? Dress? I think one time when I was a waiter, there was a lady that was really annoying and it was like the middle of the afternoon and she was like, is this coffee decaf? Is this coffee decaf? And I think I gave her the wrong one, maybe on purpose. I don't, I don't oh remember. Boy. I don't remember if it was on purpose or it was, I, I like, I was like 20. I don't remember if it was on purpose or an accident. I just said, oh yeah, it's decaf. Uh, no, I've never worked in customer service, but, uh, you know, I have some 
no, I have some annoying waiter stories, but I don't think that's what he's going for. Johnny DiSilvera writes to us and says, riding around in George's car, where did Danny Tartable get a knife and a fork from? Yeah, because if they stopped at the, what was it called? The Donut Inn or whatever <laughs> the, whatever the store. And first of all, if they stopped, the other guy had to stop too, because there's no way they're still catching up to him right. if they stopped for donuts, right? I, 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 maybe the trend has gotten so rampant that people are just carrying around plastic knives and forks. Yeah, maybe. It's everywhere. Uh, Craig really beat himself up in the comments on the last episode. Yeah, Craig, you're doing great. Keep it up. You're doing great. Hold your head up high, Craig. You're you're on the Mount Rushmore of uh, you know who's you know who's struggling, Craig. The people who aren't sending in comments every week. Yeah, Craig says of all the things Seinfeld influenced in pop culture, the idea of eating candy with utensils is the one thing I was always shocked never took off. This is an idea that actually makes sense to me. Eating a candy bar with a knife and fork is just so much more elegant. I've tried it myself, and it feels so fancy. I guess it, it is kind of classy. And again, we've established really fancy people don't eat. I'm doing so it. So it's, what, not eating? No, uh, here's what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start eating like uh, like a protein bar with a knife and a fork. I'm going to like, oh, like what's this guy up to? And that's your meal. That's like your meal for the day. That's like a good diet. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, is Rob eating a cliff bar with a knife and a fork? Yes. Yeah. But Craig, if you really want to feel fancy, don't eat anything. <laughs> yes, that's the real move. <laughs> All right. Amir writes to us. This was a fun episode. The writers did a phenomenal job of intersecting the various storylines. Additionally, it features one of my favorite Seinfeld lines. Do your thing where you lie to everyone. A few comments. So Amir is on the same page with us. Number one, Amir says, I love Kramer has a subscription to Fortune magazine. We always wonder where Kramer gets his money from. He's just a savvy investor. Uh, I, well, maybe it's he has the fortune and then he ordered the magazine because for all his drug dealing money, he made it big. I'm not sure if does fortune fortune tell you how to make the money or what to do with it once you have it, like to invest it in stocks. And I wouldn't stuff. know. I've never read fortune magazine. Yeah, but I think it's, I think it's the uh, I think it's the latter. Once I start playing Powerball, then you'll see me. Oh, that's what we're going to do. We, oh, again, this is just another expense. We're going to have to subscribe to fortune magazine. Yeah. Spend all this time with the uh, write off, though. Yeah, I guess. And then Forbes, you know, Forbes is going to keep calling and be like, hey, you know, how much money do you have? Right. All right. So Amir says, we've now seen Dan, the high talker, Aaron, the close talker, and Leslie, the low talker. How would you rate these traits on a real life, annoying, frustrating scale? High talker, close talker, low talker. Well, and next week we have the long talker. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I, uh, this guy is by far the worst of anybody we see in the whole series. Like you can't the high talker. Yeah. This guy to me drives his voice drives me insane. Why? Because it's annoying. I mean, the high talker to me seems the least irritating. It's just like, okay, he has a high voice. He's not in my face. I would never hang out with the. I I would see the close talker. Like you could be friends with him. Maybe you spend more time like talking to him on the phone or uh, you know, g chatting him. But the close talker is definitely the best. That's not a big deal. You can get away from. I him. disagree. You can get away. From I would him. rather have the high talker than the close. Because talker. what if you go to a restaurant with the close talker and you're sitting at opposite ends of the table? Like, what's he going to do? Cl- climb across the table to get in your mouth? Sure, but. So that's the only issue with him. But then there'll be other times where he's like really like in your face. Like the high talker just has an annoying voice. Yeah, but the close talker, you can talk out of being a close talker, right? You can send the therapy or something. The high talker's done. He's always going to be a high talker. Well, can't the high talker do an impression of somebody with a low voice? I don't think it works like that. But the low talker is also really annoying because, it, again, you're going to agree to, th- to do things you never agree to. Low but, talker's hey. the worst. Yeah. Yeah. No I, question. I, yeah. Okay. But then close talker is definitely the best to me. All right. We'll agree to disagree on that. And then... Okay. Uh, Mir wants to know why do you need a mantle to display the cards why can't you put them on a fridge with some magnets yeah it's true although I have that and then like the fridge ends up being full and then like I've got wedding invitations in my fridge I'm like oh this is like from 2014 we gotta throw this right. out like birth announcements of kids that are like 8 years old that's true like they're, yeah you have the birth announcement and then the bar mitzvah invitation right next to it <laughs> 
Chester finally weighs in to say, if Jerry's Nana lives in Manhattan, why have we never heard of her? Helen's visited New York countless times on the show without once ever even mentioning her own mother. The whole family even gets together with Manya, who it would seem would be Nana's sister and still no mention of Nana. Nana does party it up at the plaza with Helen, Morty, and Leo later this season, but then disappears, never to be seen. She didn't even get an appearance in the finale when her grandson was on trial. Well, so first of all, she wasn't in the finale. I, I don't want to say why. No, no, no. Fun fact? Still, no, no, no. She did. Uh, uh, she actually passed like a year after the finale, but she was there. Um, I do. I, she's a minor character. I do think that uh, like Nana kind of falls out of canon probably after the next two episodes she's in. The reason she's never seen is explained by Uncle Leo. She hasn't left her house for 25 years, so she's not going to go hang out with Helen. Yeah, but she is at the plaza with Helen, Morty, and Leo later well, in the season. Now that, she gets, now that she's senile, she gets out of the house more. That happens sometimes where people like never did one thing, and then they sort of like let their guard down when they become you know, forgetful later in life, and they start doing things differently. Yeah. She's like the grandmother in Master of None. Well, what would the grandmother in Master of None do? I don't even remember. She now. wanted to get out. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. OK. Yeah, it's like that. I know people like they didn't leave New York for 30 years and now they're like 85 and flying to Florida all the time. So it does. It does happen. Sometimes you get like less grumpy when you get really old. All right. And then finally, Chester says Morgan copies George by eating his candy bar on a plate with a knife and a fork. But why is he eating a candy bar in a fancy white tablecloth restaurant? What kind of restaurant has candy bars on the menu? And then it happens at the coffee shop at the end of the episode. Chester's not buying it. Yeah. So you think that they sell candy bars because it's a diner and they maybe have snacks by the door or something. But this guy, Morgan, had to have brought the candy bar as like a show. Right. Like this is, you know, I'm going to this is my statement I'm making here. I'm bringing a candy bar and Those I'm cutting move. it with a fork right, and knife. Right, totally. Right. It's like the emperor's new clothes. Everybody is like, oh, I want to be, I, I want to look fancy. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, eat my candy bar with a knife and a fork. Totally. I do think, uh, you know, I do think that uh, it's a little bit of a political statement here. Yeah. All right. So Akiva, what's coming up next week? Okay. Next week, another underrated episode. we got the Chinese woman, Donna Chang with the long talker Ooh. and a man in a cape. And uh, we see the end of the saga of, um, Noreen, and there's a lot of good stuff going on. All right. Kiva, what's the hashtag today? I like grief vulture. Grief vulture. That's what I was saying, that everyone's being grief vulture, but I, I feel like everyone's talking about the grief vultures right now. That's <laughs> okay, it. well, what else, what else do you have? Anything about Nana? Anything about our, uh, our Powerball uh, <laughs> uh, plans? Anything? What, uh, what, what, maybe can people name, like, what, what should the name of our show be? We're, we're bounty hunters for deadbeat dads. Okay. Sounds good. I think that's a, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's already a show like this. Bounty hunters for deadbeat dads. That's incredibly specific. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of channels. This could be, this could be a scripted show, but I feel like there are reality shows that, that would sort of fit that mold also. So it's a, it's fake. We're doing a scripted show on this? Like a sitcom? Oh, oh I thought we were doing a sitcom because that's like the whole gag is that we're or we could do one of those reality shows but it's sort of like has a funny bent where we never actually catch the guys but it is real yeah okay uh but i guess yeah i do like the nathan i for you idea where we're sort of like coming up with insane ideas (laughs) to trick them sort of to sort of trick them but then they always get away anyway (laughs) well then we should catch them i mean ideally like the audience is rooting for us because you know and deadbeat dad is very low on the scale yeah but but i think uh, and, and a New York Yankee deadbeat dad. It doesn't get worse than that. Right. But I think, I don't know if we have the, we, we still, also we got to figure out who the muscle is, our third guy. We'll figure <laughs> that. Okay. 
Jim Abbott? Ooh, that's good. Is Abbott available? Could we get Abbott? Well, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's Ruben Rivera. I don't know. Ruben Rivera. I mean, again, Ruben know. Rivera could then go. He, he'd be like the guy who like can sneak in the person's house and take the money. Yeah, but then we're all eating like Snickers with like fork and knife, and we're not letting Ruben Rivera near a knife <laughs> or craft services. Even he'll take all the food, he'll run away with it. It's not going to be good. All right. Well, we'll figure that part out. All right. So uh, thanks so much to Mike Moore for the episode recaps, and of course Scott St. Pierre who does all of the editing here on Seinfeld recap podcast you can leave us itunes ratings and comments all the good stuff go to postshowrecaps.com slash seinfeld itunes we'll be back next week take care everybody bye